Good morning and welcome to the Fat Out Recovery. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And for once we're not all boys. <laughs> Whoa! Hey. We've got a lovely young lady joining us today. <laughs> it's been over a year since we've had oh, a girl wow. on board. So this is a historic moment for us dinosaurs. Yeah, <laughs> into the 21st century. Just men for a whole year. <laughs> anyway, Neil, as you've been super manageable this morning, yeah. how was your week? My week's been okay. No. No, it hasn't been okay because I had to wait for the Virgin Man yesterday and he made me the last call of the day. I'm connected now, I'm connected to 5G. Can you believe it? I've got a business router. I don't know why I've got a business router, but I've got a business why router. Why did you get a business router? Well, I think what it was, waiting since February the 17th of this year to get connected to Wi-Fi, I think that just felt sorry for me. I don't know. And you get two different levels of, you get 2.4 something G. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Simon. I don't know. know why you're looking at me. <laughs> yeah. I'm really and not a tech expert. Oh, you're a tech expert. <laughs> I look at Caitlin and you're like, no, you get 2.4 and you get 5. So you get, oh, you know these things, Rich. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's all new to me, like I'm a dinosaur still. Isn't it? I'm 5G is incredibly fast. Yeah. If you can get it, but it's not everywhere. So in the same as the way it used to be when you got on the train, your mobile signal cuts out again and again and again mm. on the way. If you've got 5G, the minute you're in the city, boom. But go too far outside that city and... Yeah, so that was my afternoon, but the morning was great. Went for a nice walk with a couple of fellows. Nice getting to know Birmingham a little bit better. Birmingham. And that was nice. Came in and, yeah, and waited for Virgin. Should I say Virgin? I don't even want to give them a prompt. I was waiting for uh, a Wi-Fi man. Say what you like. I was, waiting for, uh, I was waiting for a Wi-Fi man to come and connect me to the Wi-Fi. And um, the issue was I was supposed to be in London yesterday. It's my sister's birthday today, so hence got my overnight bag and I'm off to London straight after this. So um, yeah, happy yeah. days. And actually, by your standards, that means you've been incredibly manageable. Incredibly. Not only have you got here on time. <laughs> Just. And you managed to message earlier on saying, I'm not quite going to get there on time, which obviously someone had to comment on that saying you're unmanageable, <laughs> but you've also got here on time and you've got your bag and you're going to London and you've remembered your sister's birthday. And I've remembered my sister's birthday. Let's yeah. compare this to Neil when he was off his face. Did you know what month your sister's birthday was? I was talking about this a couple of days ago to somebody and last year, because he was like in and out back coming out of the pandemic, and last year, my sister's birthday looked something like this. So I got up in the morning realising that it was one of those periods where we was allowed guests into the house by the government. And she planned this little party. And, and I got up and I said, I'm not going to score today because, you know, I've got to be present today. And I thought, I'll just have a little one. And I went out and I scored a couple little bits and then a couple more bits and then guests started arriving and then I've locked myself in the little box room which I stay at when I'm at my family house and then I couldn't come downstairs and I've called the dealer again thinking I'm going to sneak downstairs somehow I've got my great nieces and nephews running around the house and I don't want to be seen by anybody and I'm thinking it's a good idea to try and jump out the first floor window. <laughs> I know, and I'm looking and I'm saying, I'm not gonna make it, but I'm gonna make it. Uh, I can maybe like, I can bring myself down slowly and then get onto that little fence. And uh, and this is about three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm thinking all the neighbors are watching me. And it's crazy, crazy. And I literally had to just go back in and call the dealer and say, oh, I can't make it. And, and wait for everyone to disappear and then go ahead. So, like, compared to this day last year, it's a huge difference. 
I'm seriously amazed at you, Neil, considering your history of unmanageability. Yeah. So you've done all of this this morning. Are you sure you've got the right things in the bag? That's another story about unmanageability. <laughs> I'm not going to open that tonight and find out that you've got shoe polish, pasta, and a partially broken pencil. I've got a bit of chicken in there. No, I'm off what, to, I'm off chicken to... or a live chicken? <laughs> <laughs> or have you got a pet chicken? No. I'm off to a good event tomorrow, a fellowship event on the Thames in London. I've got my little boots, I've got my little... Do you need to take chicken to this? Yeah, I do, just in case I get hungry, because I'll be like sailing along the Thames tomorrow at 10 o'clock tomorrow night. Oh, right. Yeah, what are those? A little boat party, which I'm looking forward to. I've got a kind of fun packed week ahead of me this week. Bournemouth, Bournemouth Thursday. Treat for Mumsy, going to see my little fun adventure down there where I'm, I've been part of. I've not been part of, but I've been a part of for five years and Looking forward to seeing Karen. Spoke to her this morning. And like, yeah, and then Saturday is my mum's birthday. So yeah, but um, this is a new thing. Manageable Neil. Manageable Make yeah. the most of it because it won't go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> but I've got bloody jeans on. We're not sure. I'm, I'm looking at it. It's a little bit grey. I might change before I go, Simon. Yeah, In the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't say that's a real big error. It's no, not, but no, it's no. warm. It's it? not like you've come out in your winter overcoat. <laughs> Oh, it's going to snow. Oh, it might. It might rain. I need three anoraks. What am I going to do? I need a special sou'wester just in case it rains really, really hard. Uh, the important thing is you're wearing clothes. And that's an improvement. Uh, yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Let's not go into you're that not, story. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> of course, now he's got to get on a train or a coach and actually get there. But uh, we'll hear about that. Yeah, next exactly. Week. Next week. Yeah. And that seems we now have a lady in the room. How was your week? My week's been pretty crazy. Life's got really busy all of a sudden. Ow. Quite overwhelming. Mm. Going through a few things at the minute and feeling quite quite distracted and yeah, a bit all over the place. But like, I suppose this is one of those times where I'm finding recovery quite hard. Yeah. No, actually let me correct that. Life's, life's hard, yeah. recovery's not hard. Life on life's terms is something that that is pretty new to me. But having faith in that everything is going to be okay because I don't need to use today. It's inevitable that, and it happens to us all, it kind of ebbs and flows, it's inevitable that life's going to get big on you yeah. at some point. I certainly found it the more overwhelming the first time it happened. Yeah. Because it was this reality check of, of oh, hang on, it's not all going to be breezy just because I put the drink down. And I knew that anyway, it was more getting out of the denial on it, admitting, you know, I've actually got to deal with this thing called life, I've actually got to be a fucking adult. Yeah. And the first time it certainly felt bigger, and gradually over time, so long as I maintain this sense of, I don't need to drink. No. And actually, and the fact that you can see that it's big is surely a good thing. Definitely, and I think, you know, I've been in recovery 14 months, but I was on a substitute medication for 12 of them. Oh, right. And that was my normal. I, I thought I was feeling entirely. Oh, right. So, so the last two months, you know, I've, I've had a reality check of feelings coming back, things coming up and having to deal with them. Yeah. But then each time going through something, being convinced I'm not going to get through it clean and then doing it, and then having the evidence in actual fact. Mm. I can do it and I'm putting one foot in front of the other and not quite knowing how I'm doing it, but I'm doing it. Do you need to know how you're doing it? I don't think I do, no. no. You don't need an explanation for everything. Sometimes no. you just have to trust it. 
if I do this, then I should be okay. Yeah. And then at the end of it, you're thinking, how did I manage that? It's always good to hear, because a lot of what we talk about on here is early recovery. Yeah. It's always good to hear these initial steps into reality, because that, I think, is what people often find the most scary when they're in a treatment situation. Yeah. Because in the back of your head, whether you admit it or not, at some point I've got to move out of here. At some point I've actually got to deal with all this stuff. It's not going to go away. Like yeah. my imaginary drunk log, of course, was what do I do about this situation? I know I'll get drunk and it will all go away. <laughs> and everything will be magical and I'll win every argument I ever lost and everything will be brilliant. It's part of growing up, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the thing that I feared was the detox itself. Yes. The detox itself, for me, was really scary. I've done multiple detoxes, never got to the point of abstinence. Oh, you never finished them? Never finished them, been in treatment multiple times, never got to the point of abstinence. So, you know, I really blew it up in my head of what it was gonna be like. I'd be riding around on the floor and it wasn't like that. Mm. However, it was, it was difficult. Mm. I'm realizing now that the getting off it may have been the easier part. It's the living life, free of any substance dealing with it I'm very much a person who's run by fear yeah so I need a lot of faith well we all are to some degree yeah my default mechanism for dealing with anything was either to turn it into chaos or to drink yeah and take that away from me and in the first situation I find myself in that I've got to deal with I'm reaching for something I can't use anymore or I'm looking for something chaotic that I know isn't relevant to the situation because really, I've got no idea how to deal with this ordinary, everyday situation that's put in front of me, just because my default's been taken away. And that is yeah. scary. Yeah. Of course it's scary. And the fear thing, it's massive. I didn't contextualise what detox meant or didn't mean in the grand scheme of things, like you just said. Yeah. Because I'd done multiples before I came into the detox with changes. And I'd got to the point of getting sober and I'd got to a couple of years, twice, and then fallen off again. But what I didn't see was, yeah, the detox is unpleasant, but yeah, once it's done, it can actually be done. You don't ever have to think about it again if you do the next bit. Yeah. And because I'd never really engaged fully with, with living a program, I was always living in this fear always and that first hurdle of oh I've got to deal with this I didn't really deal with it I was always trying to get someone else to deal with it for me and I think you made a good point there you mentioned something about evidential facts yes absolutely yeah and and like those evidential facts are in front of us when we can like you said engage in recovery whatever it looks like for that person as long as you're doing some form of something like moving forward in a recovery process my evidential facts is like going into the rooms of the fellowship and hearing these stories time and time again and like you said like allowing that fear to override the faith of what's in front of me you know hearing people like say my story and saying no that only happens for them it mm. don't happen for me mm. and like and then that separation and, and i allow that fear to still the reason for going to meeting and it doesn't matter what your chosen meetings are it doesn't matter what your Smart, chosen fellowship what is it's, it's, it doesn't matter what your style is yeah. The evidential is in hearing other people who've been there done yeah. that. However they've been here done that. Mm. Because in all the time I've been doing this, in all the time I've been doing what I do in the treatment house for changes, 
every time I hear someone say, I'm scared, I haven't done this before and I've got to deal with something real, I know they're doing the right thing. Because if they're not doing the right thing, they talk bollocks. Yeah. Whereas if they're honest, they're going to say, I'm scared. Mm. I don't know what to do. I've not dealt with this before without being shit-faced. Mm. And if you can say that, you're in the right place. I think as well, going into meetings and hearing of people that have lost parents mm. whilst they're in recovery mm. and have not used yeah. also drives that faith of it's possible, it's possible. Get through anything and, and not go back to that default setting of, of picking up and taking personal responsibility for my recovery, however that looks, because everyone's journey is slightly slightly different because life is slightly different for all of us. We all have to deal with different things and some things are bigger for some people than they are for others. Yeah, yeah. also. Now some people will come into recovery and after two years they'll find that they're quite comfortable with going back to a working environment. Some people might take 10 years to do that. It's different for different people. It's an interesting journey to have done 12 months with a substitute. In other words, a substitute that was regulated as opposed to random drug use. I mean, I'd been on substitute medication for eight years, yeah. but was always using on top. You took the using on top away? Took the using on top away, and that taking things as prescribed right. was really strange at first, I but became used to it because I knew it was what I needed to do. Yeah. It was really difficult to be on substitute medication and not being able to do any step work in 12-step fellowship. Okay. So I'm almost like yeah. that in limbo feeling. Yeah, you are in limbo doing that because you, technically you're not clean and sober, so you can't engage with the actual 12-step process, and yet you know that you're not using drinking left, right, centre randomly, so you're actually caught between this, yes, I want to do the recovery stuff, but I can't do it yet. I mean, um, I was doing everything else possible, and yeah. and something was working. Well, it must have been, because if it wasn't working, you wouldn't have sustained 12 months actually taking it as prescribed. Yeah, and to begin with, it was very much like I had a mental block of, I can't do it. And to begin with, I don't want to do yeah. it. Then over time, building up that self-worth a little bit and thinking, well, in actual fact, I deserve to be free of physical dependency. Yes. I deserve to be 100% in fellowship meetings yeah. and I think that drove that yeah. slow detox and eventually coming off it being able to do the work on myself, start the work on myself. It's significant I think to have sustained taking things as prescribed. I would generally avoid prescription medication when I was drinking because it would stop me from drinking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it got in the way. Prescription medication was my first drug of choice as well for about six years. Ah. Heavy on the pharmaceuticals and then being able to take things as prescribed is really like, it's nothing short of a miracle. It's also, you are still at the point of recognising step one even though you're using prescription medication because yeah. you know that you can't use this any other way. You know that you've no. got to do what it says on the tin. And the fact that you sustain that means that it's purely a matter of you dropping that and then bang you in. Yeah. So actually, it must have been a hell of a limbo job. But the fact that you sustained it tells me that you were always intending to do the bit that came after anyway, really. 
deep down I think I knew that's what I wanted but again that fear takes over and and that attachment not just the physical dependency but that emotional t- attachment mm. to the substitute medication the one thing I was consistent on in my using was picking up my script yeah. that was the only thing yeah so yeah it's quite mad if anything it's just telling the world this is another route in you don't have to decide to go to rehab risk life and limb by stopping cold turkey so you can go in the next day you don't have to desperately save up money to go and pay for somewhere overly expensive there are various ways in to getting off whatever you've got to get off definitely and there are various ways to recognize what powerlessness is mm. i love the way katie has explained it like they say easy does it in a particular fashion mm. and it's like you took it really easy and you surrendered in a really slow way and in that surrender i love the way you explained that it was like an awakening then you came to understand that you was worth it yeah mm. and i think like with what you were saying earlier which mm. around the facts that it comes to that point where you just kind of say you know what life shows up I was like you Richard you know I've come and I've done a bit of recovery then it was just clean time it was like a dry drunk as they explain it because I'm not really engaging in recovery but I'm clean and everything's all right the fact of the matter was that you know I was waking up and my first thought was I just want to die and everything Mm. on the outside is looking okay so I'm clean but I'm not recovering yeah like you say it's an inside job and having that awakening as you're still kind of going through that process i think it's a beautiful thing you know because when i was waking up and thinking oh, i just want to die and i I'm, i start coming back to that place of separation it's only going to work for richard richard seems to be, he's all right he's doing why am i not having this feeling that everything's going to be all right because i'm trying trying i'm not doing no work on myself you know but you're also drawing in the danger of the comparison that's the um, stuff that's yeah. and that illness. is where your illness will actually work on you and, and it shakes you because you look at other people thinking oh, 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 oh. that was always a thing for me when i was uh, back in my hometown and there was quite a lot of strong recovery there ah. and i kept relapsing and i wasn't seeing anyone else around me relapsing yeah. and i was there just comparing all the time why are these people getting this and not me yeah. and to tie that in with what caitlin was saying and what you were saying about step one without realizing it caitlin was really doing a very thorough step one realizing that powerlessness and that unmanageability and you know taking all that time while you're still on your medication to realize that your end goal still was that detox and then to get on with the steps whereas in the past i did step one as a very hurried thing it's kind of like i'm powerless while i'm in a meeting i'm okay let's go on to step two that was all i thought of it and because i was never getting step one properly that was why I kept on relapsing. Well, step one can come in all sorts of different ways. The yeah. original AA, back, way back when, when Bill and Bob were going into hospital and talking to people on their hospital beds, these were guys who'd just come out of a coma induced by alcohol and mm. pills or whatever. And it was bang straight into the, you can't do this, look at the state of you. Whereas that isn't necessarily going to happen these days because there are so many different routes in and mm. We also don't have that many detox facilities around. It's more about whether you do it with prescription medication, whether you do it with tapering off, whether you do it with going to a a day service while you're still using and drinking and gradually trying to bring it down. However you do that, step one is still the same. It's still about, do I recognize that this is really screwing me off? 
And I think it's important, especially on recording this, that more and more people hear that there's no cast iron way, there's no definite, you must do this. This kind of absolute, you've got to stop and you've got to stop at this point, otherwise you can't do that. It's bollocks. There's all sorts of different ways of making it into the room. But what you've then got to do, like you said about the dealing with it now the detox has gone and the detox is actually the easier part once you've got in the room stay in the room yeah because that's when you get the i can't i won't it surfaces verbally as i can't but what it is in here is i won't yeah yeah and i'll find any reason to explain why i can't which actually isn't a reason it's an excuse definitely mm, the shapeshifter i call it Simon, how was your week? Well, I normally would have said the same thing that I seem to say to everyone. Oh, it's going all right. It's <laughs> I, I'm plodding along seems to be my go-to phrase at the moment. But I think if I really think about it, I'm sort of been distracting myself a bit. And it's a trap I've fallen into. So I distract myself with work. I can distract myself just scrolling through TikTok. Just distract myself with service you know so at meetings I'll concentrate on the service I'm doing and not on the meeting uh, kind of anything to stop me sitting with myself a little bit and recognizing what's going on in my head been doing that a lot lately really just by saying yeah I'm fine I'm neither up nor down I'm just sort of getting on with things and in a way I am getting on with things but at the same time I am avoiding myself if somebody says no genuinely how are you I probably don't know because I haven't been thinking about it. Mm. Yeah. I've just been distracting myself with other people, their business. Mm. That way, again, you know, I don't have to look at myself. So, yeah, I'm actually starting to get a bit concerned that I'm doing this plodding on because I know where that's taken me in the past. When I used to work before I came up to Birmingham, I'd work like 12 hour days. I'd be mm. working on Saturdays and Sundays as well. But the Saturdays and Sundays, I'd be there thinking I was doing a really good job and everything, but I'd still be there with a bottle of whiskey at my ankle, you know, mm. just taking periodic swigs. I'd still be able to do the job because I was doing stuff on autopilot, effectively. Yeah. It's just all that time I was doing all those extra hours, I was able to say, well, I'm not going to go to any meetings because I'm too busy. I don't need to mm. do any step work. I'm too busy. It's just all distraction. I'm very good at doing that. Mm. So, yeah. You know, I've just been sort of evaluating things over the last week and just trying to see if I'm not using work and other distractions as a way of avoiding my recovery. It's nice to be aware of that today. In my past like, in experience, when this is the thing I love about being in the fellowship, you get that collective wisdom. And when someone like yourself, Simon, would come up to me and say like something along the lines of, you, know, you seem a bit distracted. I'm fine, like, yeah, I don't know what fine means. I, I understand like, the acronym for that is like fucked, insecure, neurotic, and mm. emotional, right, yeah. But today, having that little awareness around that stuff, right, so now I've got to take some personal responsibility around that, okay, so it don't mean like maybe just jumping from this straight, like, you know, like into that, into, in a heartbeat, but it means chipping away at knowing, like, let me be present in the meeting, let me not worry about like, mm. this kind of stuff as much, and, and bring yourself back as best as possible to that, that neutrality and mm. that balance, that we're always, that equilibrium that we're always trying to yeah. trying to get to in that place. I love the awareness around stuff today, what recovery gives me. Yeah. I think you can be perfunctory in recovery, but it's like, you know, 
okay I'm doing this I'm doing that I've done this to her I've said this to him I don't want to go and get drunk um, I know I'm alright but then when someone asks you how you are you actually don't know yeah for a start it's perfectly okay not to know yeah but there's nothing wrong with you if you don't know how you are and also I see people sometimes fall into this trap of self-analyzing themselves to death because they're doing what you're describing and then suddenly they're sitting there with a sponsor or with someone else going there must be something wrong because I'm doing these things and I'm doing that and I'm sleeping all right but no no don't look for something wrong when there isn't something I think it's more about making a rational self-assessment isn't it like, mm -hmm. okay I've got into this very functional form of recovery before what was it that went wrong when I was doing that 12 hour days including Saturday and Sunday is not the same as what you're doing now is it no no definitely not and yeah. even on a base level look at it like that yeah because I was a brother for that I would work 14 16 hours a day constantly and then when I stopped I'd go bananas and it was a constant cycle of this and I couldn't see the fact that work wasn't good for me yeah the way I was approaching it it was all about my way of approaching it it wasn't actually the work itself it wasn't the being functional it wasn't the doing the day-to-day -day. it wasn't that I was doing things with other people it was that my whole attitude to the thing was just completely unbalanced and I find that my addictive behaviours are coming out in other ways anyway. Oh, they will do. Through overeating, yeah. despite the fact that I'm diabetic and I know that eating big bags of Haribo are not good for me, especially at my age. I could end up just losing my sight or losing toes or whatever, but I still go ahead and do it anyway. Sometimes I can use Diet Coke as a bit of a placebo. I notice that I'll drink one can out straight after the other, after the other. Mm. And it's kind of like, what does that remind me of? Mm. But again, like Neil says, there is an awareness that I'm doing it, but am I taking the action to actually do anything about it or change any of that? And I don't think I have been, again, using the distractions, using, yeah, but I'm functioning, I'm doing all right. So I can at least have a few Diet Cokes, but I'm having them on a scale that other people don't have them. They talk about being comfortable, coming to that place where you kind of talked about it, which is like being comfortable in a place of being uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I said, I think you said it as well, Simon. Like, to me, like what happens for Neil, like there's some things that like are just glaringly obvious that, like okay, that's got to stop ASAP, like yeah, as soon as possible, like. Yeah. And then there's some other stuff. I love the facts that you know I'm like Richard. Like, he's a very organised kind of guy. I don't know what you. Know. So you think? <laughs> <laughs> my, I'm my, very good at making <laughs> it look that way. He's very good at making it look that way. Then and then like some. You look at the scale of a week or a day, saying just keep it in a day. Uh, you know, we're told to keep it in a day. So you look at your day and you, and you reflect on your day sometimes and you look at your day and you kind of see the bits and the bobs in that day where, and then you do the same stuff again the next day. And there's some things what just become glaringly obvious that that's, I've got to get a control of that straight away. I think like when you're talking about the coke, yeah. um, the cans of coke. I used to know a gentleman who used to drink like the energy drinks but in a bank, mm. he used to have a brown mm. paper bank and he was an alcoholic. And they kind of go, Billy, maybe that's a bit of old behaviour there, isn't it? And there's something in that connected to your past. And Billy, oh, I'm all right, I'm fine. I think that change of perspective so that yeah, is really important because if you were still behaving like you used to, you'd just be doing it. Yeah. And you certainly wouldn't be exhibiting any self-awareness over it. You'd yeah. just be doing it anyway. 
and you'd end up drinking and then thinking, oh, so what? This is just the way it's always been. Yeah. Whereas if you're aware of the fact that I can get into this hole with it, then the chances of you reverting to doing 12-hour days, seven days a week, and eating Haribo's all day, every day, are next to none. Because mm. you're conscious of the fact that that's not what's going to help you. Yeah, I mean, we don't get everything right. No, we're not supposed to. We're called no. human beings. Mm. I mean, I must present different behaviours to people now because at the time when I was doing all those 12 hour days and mm. whatnot, I was also an obvious stress head, you know. I mean, yeah. people would be on edge working around me because I just refused to delegate everything. I'd be getting stressed out by the phone, by emails in a really clear and obvious way you know so people just kept a wide berth from me whereas I do find now I'm going to meetings and people are sort of coming up to me saying oh can I just have a quick word a minute and they want a little bit of advice or guidance and I'm thinking well Christ that would never have happened to me before you know anyone coming up to me before asking for a bit of guidance would have needed their head examining it's sort of nice that people are putting their trust in me in that way. Some people are just asking me what they should do about their Bitcoin investments, in which case I don't, <laughs> don't invest in Bitcoin, you <laughs> lunatic. <laughs> yes, that probably isn't the wise thing to do. Yeah. Uh, right, right. right, dilemmas. Oh yes, you've just completed rehab and your support worker asks you about volunteering. Do you A, Invent a sequence of planned activities, none of which will ever take place, just to get them off your back. B. Go out and relapse as you don't want to do any work for free. C. Ask them what your options are. D. Look for a volunteer or opportunities yourself and tell them what you're going to apply for. E. Stick two pencils up your nose, put your pants on your head so they'll think you're mad and leave you alone. Nice Blackadder reference there. <laughs> well, yeah, it's General Hague, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'll only leave it over to the expert. Oh, that's a hard one because out of all of those options I did just agree to volunteering straight away because Same. I needed structure. Same. Purely because you needed structure? I think because I needed structure. Yeah, there was the element of giving back but I was only uh, about 90 days sober at that point mm. so the sort of giving back thing wasn't so clearly on my agenda at that stage. It's really quite a selfish thing of yeah. I knew that once my therapy group stopped, if I didn't force myself to do something, then I would just sit on my bed scrolling through social media. Yeah. Because I'm actually, although I can present myself as being hardworking, I'm naturally actually a very lazy person. Mm. And I have to force myself to do anything. I'm not one of those people who's a bit of a natural workaholic who can't sit still or anything like that. So I leapt at the opportunity to volunteer. Mm. I mean, out of all those scenarios that you just presented there, the deceitful part of me would start coming up with various scenarios where I couldn't possibly do any volunteering. The most likely situation would probably be that I'd ask what my options were. But, you know, in this case, I just didn't ask what my options were. That's probably a sensible thing to do. A sensible thing to do is find out what your options are, but I just kind of grabbed the opportunity with both hands. Same, I think I really craved that structure and routine after not having it for so long. There was a lot of self-doubt there. I went into volunteering, yeah. still on substitute medication, which isn't done often, and and there was that, them core beliefs of I'm not good enough, yeah. you're less than. Yeah. When I had something to offer, Yeah. and I think, again, it was that case of believing in myself, and it was something that really paid off, because with that, and I say this quite often, I got a sense of purpose, which mm. filled that void in me that drugs never could. And having that place 
to go to each day to give back but also get something for myself from it ended up also changing my life it's critical this volunteer process i think because it doesn't matter really what your primary motive is for engaging with it no. whether it's oh, i need something to do i know i need something to do because if i don't i'll end up messing about on social media or just going shopping and i'll relapse if it's that fine because you might realize three months on that what you're actually doing is giving back and you don't need to know that to start with no all you need to be is willing to engage with something that's processed and what you've just said about filling that hole and about okay i had to go through the the fear and and i was doing it in a way that wasn't conventional it doesn't matter the fact is you did it yeah and for so many people, I think, coming out of the treatment thing, it's really, really important to do that. It doesn't matter what the volunteering is, you might do something and not get on with it and find something else. Why not? You can do that when you're in this situation. It's not the be-all and end-all, it's not a career necessarily. And it's having that willingness to do it. Definitely, and I think by doing it, my motives to begin with, I don't think it was to necessarily give back at that point I don't think I knew how to but over time for somebody who ended up being quite cold hearted and mm. shut off to emotion ended up gaining that compassion and that empathy for other people which I think was crucial because then I started to have compassion and empathy for myself yeah. which was really important I mean that sums it up really because it's not just about I'm doing this for someone else it's not just about I'm doing this because this is what the organisation needs and this is what helped me when I came into the treatment. It's also about how this helps me grow as opposed to if I'm just using the dry house environment as a place to stay and not pick up because that's what can happen. Yeah. And you don't have to be in the dry house environment for long to see that happening with some people because that's what, where it goes. And sometimes with the willingness to volunteer, you might do it, it might not work out, you might find out that you can only do two days a week because it feels like a lot. But you, you tried. The fact that you've tried means that you're going to try again. Yeah. And it means that you're going to stay there or thereabouts. It's like recovery itself. Hardly anyone gets it the first time. No. But if you keep on being there and thereabouts, you keep on trying, you've at least got a chance. Definitely. It's when you're right everything off and you write yourself off and you write everything around you off that's when you've got no chance yeah and i think volunteering is so important really i, is I think volunteering is really important on many different levels you know they talk about in all aspects of our the readings in all the fellowships what talks about doing things in all aspects of life you know and mm. i think volunteering just not only in like the recovery sense but substance misuse i mean in anything that's out there what maybe takes your interest you know like the planet's falling apart many many different things can be done on that level but i will still say like from my personal experience i see people come to these rooms like, different places different stages with different experiences walking into the um, recovery on a personal level i'd kind of come from a place of like it was totally all about me on every level even yeah. before picking up a substance and i was out there and i was taking everything from society and i was causing chaos out, out there in society so something had to change but my ego was getting stroked i would kind of say i have to see about my motives today around why i'm going to be doing what in particular roles in certain roles neil definitely has to because i still want to like well, i think i am kind of syndrome going on with mm. me so i've got to be very mindful of that stuff 
So I come in and my experience around doing that volunteering stuff before is like, no, no, you seem very capable and rather. But a lot of that capability was what you talked about, like I can be presenting a form of what I can do. But in fact, like, you know, why am I presenting that? Am I presenting that because I just still want this kind of thing where I want you guys to like me and I mm. want to feel that I am something that I'm not at this present moment in time. Maybe I can work towards, but I'm just not that right now. Am I doing that because I don't really want to sit with myself? Because I just really just can't for any moment in time just kind of really sit with myself. So I got involved in putting on things like football, little tournaments and things like that. And uh, I was doing it because like, yeah, because I can do it. I was also doing it because like, I want to be kind of like, look at me kind of thing. Look at me, am I not great? That was my first battle trying to recover in like, you know, going back out and coming back in and getting involved in server user stuff, which I had no idea what they were talking about to begin with. And once I clocked into it, I thought, this is great. This is not the room, so I can shout recovery from the rooftops because mm. I ain't got none of that anonymity stuff and that, and I love it. And that's when that little period of that two years, that six months I was actually doing recovery, I was sponsored. Yeah. I was do- but then it evolved into like, going into drug and alcohol services, and working alongside treatment centres, running around the country doing loads of stuff and the recovery side stopped and it was like, am I not great? That ego started to come alive in me and the essence of why I'm doing this totally got blurred and lost. Yeah. And I think sometimes I see a lot of people very capable and they've got really good skill sets in stuff because of the experience they've had before coming into recovery and they've just got a natural gifted like God-given talent you know? but there's still some recovery got to be done and there's still some sitting with self so to now like myself to grow in that uncomfortability using that skill set to kind of say uh, it's process mm. the thing about volunteering for me it's so important is it's a process I mean merely by doing it without even thinking about it doing volunteering proves what I've been doing during this particular period and it goes on my CV, it gets me a work reference, it convinces me that I can go back to work, it also means I'm giving something back to a system that helped me, it may well eventually lead into something paid somewhere and I don't know what that is and I don't need to know, it also gives me scope during that time to reapply different parts of my skill set because in line with what you're saying Neil, I could have quite easily gone back to a school mm. and I was a senior manager in a school and I could quite easily go back to that, go blazing into that, they watch me for a year or so and think oh yeah okay and I'd fall. Bam. But what I have to do is regardless of where I want to end up is I have to go through a process where I relearn how I can use various parts of my skill set. Right, and things. be very mindful. And is it doesn't have to be that by doing whatever, I've done various things during the course of that volunteering and then working process, but it doesn't always have to end up at a finite destination that I've already determined. And also, if I've been in such and such a position, which I have, I don't actually want to be back in that position anymore. In recovery, I don't want to be back in that. I don't want to be working 80 hours a week anymore, thanks. Yeah, exactly. And because I've made that decision, I've been able to make that decision because I went through a volunteering process at the beginning. If I hadn't done that in the first place, I might well have come back to that by now. Okay, I think I'm gonna be pretty specific then, like what I'm talking about. You get this, it's a running joke. To me, in running jokes, there's something behind it. There's always something behind it as well. There's a truth behind it. So you get the 30 day chip 
key mm. and it's like right, who's ready to be a counsellor yeah there's really something in that 30 day thing I understand now every milestone every day is a milestone it's a victorious day for yeah. me and I think a lot of people got to be very mindful around because you hear it so often it's, but my past experience shows me like I've got to be mindful around that stuff because like I know very little right here right now I'm still trying to find my feet so that 30 day yeah who's ready to be a counsellor and you want to give back because you think, oh, this is beautiful. My recovery is beautiful. I've got some past experience which I can bring to the instant mirror. The fact is, I'm just still learning how to bloody crawl. I'm still just toddling my way through stuff. And I have to be very mindful. Do I go into politics? No, I don't go into politics. No, I will go into politics. <laughs> I have to be very mindful, especially right here, right now. People are trying to do a lot with little, you know, resources are tight, money is tight, yeah. and then people will go into this pool of people who are like, oh yeah, I want to give back, yeah, and, yeah, and I love what you've done for me, and, but they're not ready, it's not really ready, not all of them are really ready, and not all of them are ready to go through that process day by day and really understand as they're moving forward, not to allow that thing, that inside won't match the outside, that's where yeah. you start getting that tug. You get a tug of war going on with you where you think, I should be presenting myself like this because I'm doing this, because I'm, I'm working within the organisation now. Mm. This should be me. But what you're trying to present is not what's really going on. It won't be apparent maybe straight away, but for many people will become apparent somewhere down the line and separation happens. You know, this shapeshifter, what we got, what's just running around waiting for a gap. We'll say, got ya. Yeah, I think... The beauty in, I don't know whether you can relate to this, Simon, the beauty in volunteering for me has been that I don't have all the answers. Yeah. I can be totally honest about that. Yeah. I'm in early recovery myself, but my head can very much want to separate me. So I went through a, a phase of feeling like I couldn't share in local meetings. Mm. Why can't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well Why can't I? Mm. And I remember very recently actually being at a meeting and not being in a good place I was in emotional turmoil after everything mm. hit me after my detox and I just thought you know what I'm going to share my stuff because it is my head separating me right now and going back to what I was saying about beauty volunteering is that we can be honest about it I don't know about you but for me the groups I plan are often what's going on for me yeah, yeah. often what's going on, on for me and if somebody says something, I can bring my experience to it and say, you yeah. know, say what I honestly feel, what I honestly think. I think there's definitely that feeling of wanting to keep up appearances and I'm okay all the time, but recently realising that actually I can drop that. Somebody asks me if I'm okay, I don't necessarily have to go into detail. Mm. I can say, no, I'm, I'm struggling. And the main message in that, I think, is the fact that I'm struggling, but I'm still there. I'm yeah. still there. I'm still clean. It's okay. Which reiterates the importance of volunteering. Uh, Definitely. Because, you, because you're volunteering, because that's where you're at. No one expects you to know all the answers. I've got a lead facilitator at the organisation where Caitlin and I work, or volunteer. He sort of had a catch up with me one time and he said the reason I got you to do these groups with me is that he goes obviously I believe you've got something to contribute but he says I, I think that you can get as much from these groups as you can actually contribute yourself yeah you know yeah. and that's absolutely true and a lot of the time I go into those groups without any plan of what I'm gonna yeah. say or do or whatever and I just roll with it and there's always something I can relate to 
I'm trying Richard, Richard R2. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what Richard does all day long, I can't. Yeah, yeah. He's a bit of a Jedi when it comes to that stuff. The groups that I take, bear in mind, I've been doing it for 30 years, so it looks like I'm just making it off. And doing no, it Richard, I've seen you come in like it's melting to the bottom like of the It looks like I'm doing it off the well, like, And he'll say like a little thing and it will come into the, and you say, right, this is what we're doing. And I'm like, yeah. what? And then all of a sudden it evolves into this great thing. That's what 30 years experience can do for yeah. you. That's you know, amazing. And the wonderful thing about groups is that no group is ever the same. Mm. I Whatever say that, subject yeah. you're doing, if you've got the great privilege of, of doing any form of group therapy, no group is ever going to respond in the same way no. as another group to a particular word, topic or experience. Definitely not. So in the organisation we're in, there's a morning group and there's an afternoon group. Ah, yes. Both groups are exactly the same topic. Yeah. Exactly the same structure. In the nearly a year I've been doing it, I've never known the two groups to go the same. And I think, for me, I absolutely love that. It's that difference each day, mm. that going in and and things going different. And coming from a nursing background, I think uh, I need that. That uncertainty almost, yeah. but that controlled uncertainty. And then, of course, you have to think on your feet. And I like that. And I responded very much to that when I started doing things after detox and treatment it was I need to know that I can still do that it doesn't have to be in some high crisis situation I need to know that I can still do these things that I always do yeah. like being able to think on my feet like being able to be creative like being able to be lateral in my thinking and all that stuff is not about doing something highfalutin and in a suit and highly paid this and, and it's not about that it's about how I respond with other people and that again is why volunteering is so important because it's your opportunity to start making that bridge to normal living which is really what we all want if we've been shit faced for 20, 30, 40 years I want some kind of link to normality here mm. I don't want to live in this frosted glass cage where the world is all around me and I can't quite touch it and I don't want to be in a recovery bullshit bubble either I convinced myself when I was working that I had that bridge to live in, you know, <laughs> things, you know, because I have a job, because I have a flat. And oh yeah, like I've that. been I thought that. that I was living normally. Yeah. People who are living normally weren't drinking like I was, you know, yeah. weren't smuggling um, miniatures of vodka into the workplace toilets and all that. And I had that. I yeah. Two major facets of my denial beyond the actual drink itself. One was the fact that I had. A a highly responsible job and I turned up every day at six in the morning and I was there until the job got done and my other part of my dinner was my intellect yeah and put all of that together and he didn't even need the word alcohol there was so much denial about the way I was actually living because mm -hmm. as soon as I got home and the curtains were closed you wouldn't believe the difference yeah. and to the point whereby when I told people I used to work with that I was going to detox for the first time, which was a long time ago, most of them just turned around and gasped and said, what? Mm. As if I was speaking Cantonese. <laughs> That's how well I'd hidden it. Yeah. But that denial is in me, of course. Yeah. And going back to volunteering, I think it's a crucial part of getting us out of the way that we used to live. Definitely, I think the skill set learned from it we learn to be consistent, yes. we learn time skills, yeah. we learn confidence, assertiveness, yeah. like the list goes on. 
and you relearn how to present yourself in front of other people without Definitely. even realising it. Definitely, it's very much a process, and yes, we often can't see it in ourselves because we're us every day. But it's only when somebody points yeah. it out and we look back in, you know, in hindsight. It's a great theatre adage, you know, why do actors need directors? Because I can't see myself. Exactly. I think I'm doing this, and the director will say, no, 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 I need you to do that. In the day to day, everyone in the room with me can see something about me that I can't see because I can't see myself. And that works the other way as well. Yeah. So I can't sometimes see when I'm not travelling great, yeah. but others can, and it's yeah. not until they point it out that mm. I can see. Yeah. And this is yeah, when we have to wrong. rely on our friends and Definitely. have to know who our friends are. Definitely. I think the groups, I've always said like there's nothing more powerful than a group. And what I always kind of take it from groups where I've just been in them or facilitating them, there's that, there's that vulnerability, what you get, if you kind of allow yourself to be vulnerable, and the teachings of what everyone's said a little bit earlier, of finding new ways to deal with new situations on the spot in a positive manner. Yeah. My experience around groups reading it up for me was that there was a lady there, a young girl who was half my age, talking about some stuff I was cringing, thinking I'll take that to the grave with me. And alone, like listening to her over the last like the two weeks that I was in that group, and it gave me the license to get vulnerable for the first time in my life, and to yeah. start finding my ways of being truthful in a way where I wasn't ripping myself apart and just kind of like take back out like you know and, and allowing the process and they say trust the process and then the process, 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 process and that's the, one of the beautiful things about groups like you said that people see a vulnerability in others yeah and realize it's okay for us to be vulnerable so when i went through groups i was very eager mm. did everything right yeah but still had that resistance to get fully vulnerable and it was only when I started volunteering seeing other people get vulnerable mm. realizing in actual fact it's okay it's mm, okay for me to bring not in a group setting where I'm facilitating but outside in meetings to friends that it's okay to get vulnerable I think yeah. you know I, I acknowledged it on on Friday Simon mm. when we were in group that I don't stop and think about certain things until I do and one of the mm. things I realised last week was the absolute magic that happens inside those rooms, yeah. it's, it's really beautiful, it is. We have definitely run out of time, no mean achievement, as we say every week, um, Neil you're now being back after your little sabbatical before you go off to a bigger one I think. Mm. If you've heard anything today that has in any way resonated with you concerning yourself, anyone you know and love, there are plenty of places out there that can help. Have a look on Google, have a look for rehab, have a look for detox, have a look for recovery. There's all sorts of phone numbers and things like that. And don't give up because not everyone gets this first time as we've heard today. And there are various ways that you find your way in. Uh, we are at Flat Out Recovery on Facebook and on Twitter and you can contact us if you wish to at podcast at changesuk.org. Have a wonderful weekend and we will, well you will hear us again next week. So it's good night from me. And it's good night from me. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>